Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, we, we need to just recap a little bit about where we're at in Acts. I'm very, very excited about uh, Acts moving forward. It's probably the most exciting portion of the book, in my opinion, is what's coming ahead. Um, so, thus far, uh, we want to remember that chapters 1 through 7, the time that we spent in chapters 1 through 7, was about us learning how the early apostles and the early church members uh, established the church. What did their faith look like? Right? What was, what was their heart attitude, their heart posture towards the Lord? What were, kind of the, were some of the things that they observed? Right? We talked about things that were established, uh, like, like the role of the deacon was established during that time period. Some of the structure of the church was coming into fruition. Uh, we also talked about the transitionary nature of the gospel at that point. And in chapter 2, they talk about the need to be bapti- repent and be baptized. And we're watching as the, the gospel is moving into the Gentile nations that that soteriology is beginning to change a little bit. And the emphasis is on repentance rather than the act of baptism. And that's kind of what we see moving forward from here on. And we've been just talking about how that early church came into being. Now, we just wrapped up a portion of Acts that deal with the scattering of the church. Now, we all know from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that God's intention was that He bestow upon believers the power of the Holy Spirit so that they could go into all of the regions of the world declaring the gospel. That was His intention. That's why Jesus Christ left. That's why He left His Holy Spirit, is that the power would be within the believers to go and to share the truth of Jesus Christ to the entire world. And you know what? Uh, God has His own plan in doing that. And what we saw is that persecution came down upon that early church and, and the church, by necessity, began to scatter from Jerusalem into other regions surrounding the area, into Gentile regions. And we see the gospel go into Samaria, right? We see it go into the house of Cornelius and, and other, other uh, Gentile families and, and regions and, and places. And it's beginning to spread. And last we left, uh, the, the gospel had come to Antioch and a church had been established. And that's, that's kind of where we're at. Let's look for a second at, um, at the church in Antioch. We learn a lot about it in Acts chapter 11. So if you, if you want to turn there, you can. And just look over that for review. But, but by the time we get to Acts chapter 13, what we're going to see here is the church is beginning to um, look the way it's supposed to. The church in Antioch is preparing to send out missionaries. 17 years have passed since chapter 1. And in that time, we're seeing believers becoming what they're supposed to be, what Christ intended them to be. In those 13 years, we see the church growing, growing in Jerusalem and all over the world, Jews and Gentiles coming to know Jesus Christ. And we see the church beginning to develop a culture and elements and environment that it might thrive biblically. That's what we're seeing. Now, all that's left to happen for things to be exactly the way God intended them to be 
is for the church to learn how to separate. How to separate. And, and here's the difficult part about separating. Right? <clears throat> when you've built something, like the church in Antioch, when you've built something, when the culture seems right, when everybody loves each other, when everyone's functioning sacrificially, when the offices are, 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 are respected, and the doctrines are respected, and people are being discipled, and everyone is excited about the gospel, why would you ever want to break up the band? Why would you, why would you ever want to mess that up? Why separate? Why, when everything is going so great, would you ever divide something so wonderful, so beautiful? And here's, here's the reason, ultimately, this is the reason. Because the world needs what we have. The world needs what we have. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? It's a pretty simple question. Simple logic, isn't it? How can they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of, of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah say, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Missionary Henry Martin once said, the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to Him, the more intensely missionary we become. Does that make sense? In other words, the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the closer our intimacy becomes, the closer our church becomes the unity of this body of believers, Midtown Baptist Temple, Kaya, the more we develop one another, cultivate in one another intimacy and a love and a passion for Jesus Christ, the more missional we become as individuals. It happens by necessity. The more you gain Christ's heart, the more you gain love for the lost. A church without the going is a church without the Great Commission. We talk about the Great Commission, but, but ultimately, a church without going is a church without the Great Commission. Listen, a church without sending is a church without servitude. Ultimately, you don't get to call yourself a servant of Jesus Christ if you aren't willing to go. And our church, Midtown Baptist Temple, will never be what it's supposed to be if we don't practice sending our very best. We must be about the going. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. And I thank you for everyone that could be here this morning. Lord, I pray that your word uh, would be clear. 
that your intentions would be clear, that your will would be clear, and that all of us would respond the way that you're calling us. Lord, I pray that Midtown Baptist Temple, that the, the ministry fellowship that we call Kaya, Lord, would be a, a gathering of people, a community of people that are not, uh, that are not satisfied with fellowship and friendship alone. Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied, uh, Lord, with the knowledge that we're receiving. Uh, Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied with um, the things that we've grown accustomed to. But Lord, that our satisfaction would be in you. And Lord, that you would do this, the work of sending us. And, and for, for many of us, that might mean that we just devote ourselves to Bible study. And that we would pour everything we have into the outreach on our campuses and in our neighborhoods and in our workplace. And that would be our calling. Some of us are called to be high school teachers and some of us are called to be programmers and, and bank tellers and construction workers. And Lord, whatever it is that you're calling us to, will we see the sending in that? That we would know what that means. We would know the implications of your plan for our life. And that we wouldn't neglect it. Lord, show us, show us how we should be sent. Lord, there will be some of us who we know are going to be sent to the foreign mission field or sent with a church plant. And Lord, I just want to say right now... Um, Lord, so be it. Lord, we count it a joy for you to separate some. And so, Lord, we, we want to be willing servants. And so, Lord, knit our heart to yours so we would see the value of that work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is missions DNA. Missions DNA. In other words, identity. Okay, there's that word again. Missions DNA. We need to have the right genetic code. Acts 13.1 says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch. Now I want to first point out to you that this, when this says church in Antioch, it's not referring to a universal church. All right? When it says church, we're not talking about the church at large. Right? The, 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 com the community of believers abroad. This is referring specifically to a local body of believers. The beginning of the first missions movement began right here in the heart of a local church. Missions begins with a local family of ministers who are dead set, bent on going anywhere and doing anything that the gospel might take root in those places. A missions program can only be as strong as its sending church. You understand? And every church is not equal in this regard. Okay, and, and I'll speak to this in, a, in, a, in, in terms of culture. I'm not speaking about any church specifically. Again, I don't have any desire to do that. But in terms of church culture in the West today, all churches are not equal. There are churches of every make and model. There are churches that, that, that emphasize programming, that emphasize uh, uh, internal growth, there are churches that, that, that want to be your country club. 
There are churches that, that bastardize the scripture from the pulpit every Sunday morning. And there are some that regard it with, with, with great intention. There are all kinds of churches. But ultimately, what that local church, whatever that local church might be, it will reproduce after its own kind. Whether it's a church that hoards its people and tries to fill the pews week after week after week, they will beget what they seek. They will reproduce what they're after. That's what they'll do. And I want to say very, I want you to know this, I want to say very carefully this morning that the Midtown Baptist Temple is not an easy church to be a part of. It never has been. From the very beginning, this is not an easy church to be a part of. Because it doesn't, Offer the things that other churches might offer. I mean, here we are down the street renting an elementary school's cafeteria to meet in. So be it. Discipleship, yeah, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, we ask everybody to do it. No, you can't be a leader in this church if you haven't been discipled. I get it, it's hard. But you know what? We strive to be a church that reproduces Bible-believing, Word of God-honoring, church-planting churches. I got lunch with Dan Renault, uh, the pastor of Living Faith Lee Summit, a church plant from this body of believers in Lee Summit on Friday. And you know all Dan wants to talk about? They've been a church for three years. You know the only thing that Dan wants to talk about? Is every time we get together, when they're going to plant their first church. And I think that that's, that's so exciting. That's such an exciting thing to think about. But listen to me, that's in his DNA. It's in his DNA. There's many Bible-believing churches that speak of missions in platitudes. As though the missionaries that they support are a trophy on their shelf of noble achievements. They've got, they've got pictures on the wall of all the missionaries that they support. And we can fall prey to this, but listen to me. We've got to go beyond just talk. We've got to go beyond just philosophy. You know, we can have missions conferences every single year. And if all it is is talk then we are not a missional church. Key point number one. Missions isn't a concept worth talking about. It's a charge worth keeping. Missions isn't a concept worth talking about. Okay, so, I mean, the the timing here is impeccable, isn't it? Starting next Sunday, we are going to have mission-focused conference. We do it every year. It's so exciting. It's such an awesome thing. And we talk about missions a lot. But ultimately, what you have to understand is that missions isn't the thing that we send people to go do. And it's not some idea, it's not some sort of thing that we can philosophize about. 
It's something that we have to model every single day as a church. In other words, MBT will never be a comfortable church to be because what most churches expect from their prized missionaries, we expect from our members. The things that most churches expect from their missionaries, we expect from every single person that's sitting here this morning. That's what makes it tough, but listen to me. That's what makes us a missional church. Midtown Baptist Temple strives to be a missions-minded church. Now, we're not perfect at that. And this morning, I'm not suggesting that we do it perfectly, and I'm not suggesting that we do it the right way in every regard. But what this does mean is that we don't take our methodology or philosophy from other bigger or more successful churches or organizations. We're not looking out to that big church in California that their missions thing is working so well. We don't look to them for our answers. We don't look to them for our model. We look to the book. We look to Antioch. We look to Acts chapter 13. And missions will not be an afterthought. It's our everything. It's our everything that we do. It informs every relationship, every activity, every minister, uh, ministry, every Bible study. Everything that we do is informed by the concept of missions. It undergirds everything. It is our movement forward. It is how we proceed. In our church membership meeting, you want to be a part of Midtown Baptist Temple, you go to the new members class. In the new members class, guess what they talk about? Missions. Before you've ever even tithed your first tithe, you are hearing about missions. So Antioch is the model church. And now what we'll see is that that church in Antioch produced proven leaders. So it started with the right DNA. And if you need to, you can go back to Acts chapter 11, our study in Acts chapter 11, and you can look at those messages. I think they're entitled um, The Model Church. And you can see the beginning of that DNA. You can see what kind of church they were, how they treated discipleship, how they treated the structure. Where, where, what was their DNA? But it was a local church focused on missions that ultimately produced missionaries. That seems to make sense. And we need to be that kind of church too. And Antioch, because of discipleship, produced leaders with the qualities necessary for a fruitful missions program. And so next, let's look at missions in terms of the character of the people. The character qualities of the people that you'd want to be missionaries. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 again. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So this is a list of leaders in the Antioch church. What we have here is we have four Hellenistic Jews okay, that became believers. Four of these men are Hellenistic Jews. In other words, they're, they're men of a Jewish faith system that grew up and their whole lives were in Gentile nations. Okay? In other words, they were born and they were culturally Greek. Right? but they were Jewish by faith originally, 
and culture originally, and they came to know Jesus Christ. Okay, And then we have Menaean, who was born in Jerusalem and grew up going to the same school as Herod the Tetrarch, or Herod the Tetrarch who, which was, uh, we, we recognize as the same Herod that cut off John the Baptist's head. All right? And they grew up together in Jerusalem, in the Holy Land, together. And this is an eclectic group of people from all over the world, from Africa, from, from Cyrene. And these men were faithful believers from diverse backgrounds, prepared to reach every kind of person. And as I look around this room, I, I think of leadership the same way here. I see people of all different skin colors at Midtown Baptist Temple, all different ages, all different backgrounds, all different experiences, cultures from all over the world. I mean, thank God for Friends of International. We have a ministry that is so culturally diverse that it can't help but be missional. I mean, it, it's, it's, the, it's, it's so painful, but it's worth celebrating at the same time that we have students that come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and two years later they have to go back home wherever that might be, Korea, Vietnam, China, they've got to go home. And guess what they have to take with them? It's the DNA. But I love how eclectic our body is, and this church in Antioch was also eclectic. And these leaders were strong. The text refers to them as prophets and teachers, speaking to their gifting as leaders to preach and teach the word. These were men who were strong in their gifting and knowledgeable in the Bible. And it is clear that within the ranks of the Antioch church, there was a number of growing leaders. But of all these righteous, missions-minded men, not all of them would be separated. Of the five men mentioned here, two would have to go. Only two men would be called out, Barnabas and Saul, the best of the best. Loved, respected, trusted, gracious in every manner, and gifted in the word, the very best of the best, would be separated. And they had the mark of the missionary on them. And so before we can consider their calling, we've got to think about who they were and what qualified them. We've got to think about, we've got to think about qualifications because not every person is qualified to get on a plane and go anywhere in the world to reproduce the DNA. Not everyone is qualified to do that. Not everyone is ready or prepared. Not everyone is mature enough for that work. And so before anyone is ordained or sent out on the mission field to, to plant a church, they have to show themselves capable. And so key point number two. We don't just send anyone. We send the proven. We don't just send anyone here at Midtown Baptist Temple. We send the proven believers. Acts chapter 11, verse 22 speaks of Barnabas' testimony. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem. In other words, the church in Jerusalem heard that there was believers in Antioch who needed leaders. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all, Though with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith 
and much people was added unto the Lord. Again, we addressed this in a previous sermon, but what we see here is that Barnabas had the qualifications before he even came to Antioch. He was a man of grace, of love. He wanted to teach the word. He discipled, and God used him to be fruitful. He was empowered by his yielding to the Holy Spirit. For Paul, we know that from the moment of his conversion, his zeal and love for God were on display. Acts chapter 9, verse 19 says of Saul, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God, that all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them, which called on on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? Isn't this the guy that was previously putting down Christians? What's he doing preaching with power in the synagogue the name of Jesus Christ? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And while Paul and Barnabas worked together in Antioch, they gained a testimony of their character. Chapter 11, verse 25 says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Antioch. Now we don't have to rehash all of this. Okay, you can go back and study it on your own. But what's important to understand is that Barnabas and Paul had the character that we want in missionaries. And again, when I say missionary, I'm not talking about the James Fife's of the world. I'm not talking about the Micronos. I'm not talking about just the people who are called to foreign works. I'm talking about whether or not you as a believer in Jesus Christ have determined to have the character of a missionary. Now, they were not qualified in their own power or their own strength, but they were qualified by their proven yielding to the, yielding to the Holy Ghost. Their willingness to surrender their lives over to God's will. They're not qualified because they determined themselves qualified, but because they had the trust of the elders in Jerusalem and Antioch. And I want to say, trust is important. Trust is important. Proving is important. Not because you have the power in your flesh. Not because you can conjure up a sense of leadership. Not because you can convince me that you're qualified or that you're a good candidate for leadership or any of our pastors. Proving is important because we can't send novices into the field. We can't send novices. We have to send our best. Trust is crucial. It's a crucial component. When you talk about ordaining someone or sending someone to minister, you know why? Why is it important? 
that you be mature before we send you to, to God knows where. Because of souls. Because souls are in the balance. Precious stones are in the balance. The thing that God cherishes the most in this world is in the balance. And if someone is sent as an ambassador of the gospel, then it better mean that they have proven it out. Not that they're perfect, but that they live in the reality of their salvation every day. Dead to their sins, alive to Christ. And there is a threshold of maturity. We can't send people with bad judgment. Poor, poor character or inexperience. We have to send people who are ready to go. And we use this understanding of the church of Antioch here at Midtown Baptist Temple. And I can say this, I'll use Mike uh, Renault as an example. So many of you know that Mike is preparing to plant a church in Boston. Some of you have been out there to see the work. Okay, now I've known Mike for two decades. Okay, I've known him since right after I graduated high school. Okay, and, and the thing about Mike is that Mike has proven for decades now his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he's been in, in ministries, faithful in ministries. He's an, he's an evangelist by his very nature. He's proven that. He's proven that he's fruitful. He's discipled people, many, many people. He's mentored them in God's word. He's shown them truth. He's a great shepherd. He loves his flock. He's spent time counseling. He's devoted his life, and it's been proven out. It's been proven out. And so he was ordained last year at Mission Focus. Why? So that he can take this DNA and reproduce it somewhere else. That's why. Now we take this exact same approach here in Kaya. We do the exact same thing here, but with Bible studies. And we use Bible studies as a platform for proving. And not just anyone can be a Bible study leader. I, I mean... Anyone who's a believer can open the Bible and do Bible study. That's not what I'm talking about. Everyone in this room should be doing Bible study. But when we're talking about our Bible studies, where we gather together in, in, in a, a tiny little hub, a little microculture of our church, where we gather together and we study God's Word and we keep each other accountable and we pray together and we, and we have counsel with one another in God's Word. When people are hurting, they need someone that they can go to that they can trust who's familiar with God's words. We can't just have anybody be a Bible study leader. We put people in those positions. We have about almost 25 Bible studies in this ministry. All over, splattered all over the Kansas City area. Some on campuses and in homes. And, and the people who oversee those Bible studies have to be proven individuals. First and foremost, they, they need to have the right character. They need to have a Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 25 character. They need to be walking in the Spirit. I, I should see and everyone should see in their life a, a life yielded to God's Word. And a life yielded to God's spirit. There has to be a particular character. Bible study leaders have to be active 
for a considerable amount of time. They have to be proven in, in another Bible study. So for instance, I'm going to give you an example. We're about to start another Bible study at UMKC. Lydia will be leading that Bible study. She is currently in Lisa Cheadle's Bible study. Lydia has been devoted to that Bible study as a member of that Bible study for years now. Since she's been in Kaya, she's been devoted to Bible study. And she's, she sees that as her field, as a place to minister. And that, that was proven out in her consistency. Is this making sense? Am I boring you with this? Because what we're talking about here is very much structural, is very pragmatic, but it's of the utmost importance if we are going to be a ministry that ultimately sends people all over the world. And that's what we are about. Kaya is not going to be a place of complacency. Our ministry has to be devoted to modeling itself after God's word so that we can reproduce Bible studies all over this city and ultimately so we can reproduce churches all over this world. Our Bible study leaders need to have completed D2. Well, that's, well that seems arbitrary. No, it's not arbitrary. D2 is a place where you learn how to handle God's word. It's a great learning environment where you understand how to study God's word for yourself and how to have character qualities of a leader. And so we as a ministry have decided that you need to have been in D2 if you want to lead a Bible study. It seems reasonable to us. That's part of the proving. You need to have successfully discipled someone. Have you done that before? Have you taken the things that were given to you when you were mentored in God's word and have you devoted those things into the life, pouring them into the life of someone else? We want to know that you've done that. We want to know that you've been fruitful in that way. Because we want each Bible study to be shepherded and protected and fruitful. That's what we want. We desire to have more and more leaders develop so that we might plant more and more Bible studies so that ultimately we can plant more and more churches. And we can reproduce the DNA, not the Midtown Baptist Temple DNA, the, 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 the DNA that we see in God's Word. Why is all of this important? Why is this so important? Why is the proving important? Why is character so important? Because Christ is worth it. And you know what? The world is a wicked place. Did you know that? Don't ever forget for one moment that the world is dark. It's dark. And the world chews up and spits out Christians every single day. Some of you are in the throes of that even right now. In our world, Satan is going about taking down and taking out Christians one at a time to worldliness, to broken thinking. And listen to me. We cannot afford to not train Christians in God's word. We cannot afford to send people who aren't proven. We can't afford to do that. You know why? Because we can't afford to send people into the den of the devil to be chewed up and spit out. We can't afford to do that. So we train people. We train them. 
And some of them, as they're being trained, will be separated. There is a calling. Verse 2. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul, two men of the five leaders, for the work whereinto I have called them. So listen to me. Let's start with this first part of verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord. Okay, that means that they were, they were, when they were separated out, when they heard the voice of the Lord, they were in the midst of ministry. Now, I love the phrase here, okay? Don't let this get away from you. It says, ministered to the Lord. And you know why it says that? Because God wants to remind us that the great commandment must be true before the great commission can be. This is what I mean. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus said unto, the, unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Key point number three. When we minister to him, he enables us to minister to others. When we minister to him, he enables us to minister to others. In other words, The great commandment says that we have to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, with everything we have. We need to love Him. And as that intimacy is built, as that love relationship is built, we become like Him. And He enables us to do the work of loving others. You know how you love others? You know how you love others? You introduce to them the one who can save their soul. You, you love people, then you preach the gospel. That's what you do. You live the Great Commission. If you love people, you can't help but preach. And so for some of you who struggle with the preaching, I wonder what your love relationship with Jesus Christ is like. When our service is upward, when our joy is in a shared will with the Father, then the byproduct is love among the brethren and service. And we'll do the work. They also fasted. Now fasting was a staple of the Jewish faith. It always, it always has been. And it's always, fasting is always accompanied by a humble posture and a spirit of prayer towards God. Fasting and prayer go hand in hand. Now, fasting was not done away with. After, after Jesus Christ died and rose again. It wasn't done away with. It's not some sort of Jewish tradition that we can just forget. But the problem is that many believers have. Many believers neglect fasting and praying. But Jesus' very words in Matthew chapter 17 and 21 is that he says that fasting holds power. Jesus says, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. In other words, he's referring to the fact that there are some that are so oppressed by demons, so oppressed by the darkness of this world, there are some that only come out, that are only rejected and refused through fasting and prayer. I wonder if, if for those of you, 
have, who have wayward family members, who have lost friends, people who don't know Jesus Christ, and they're in, they're in the throes of the jaws of, devil, of the devil. People that are under the control and the oppression of darker forces. People who are living in their flesh and in sin. How many of you take time to call your friends to prayer and fasting? Leaders do that. I'm so broken hearted over my sister. I'm so broken hearted over my friend. I'm so broken hearted over my mom. Will you help me by praying and fasting with me? Would we, could we have a season of prayer and fasting? Listen to me. This is what leaders do and it ought not be neglected. And it ought to be a practice of Kaya. In your Bible study, it's the perfect place for you guys to determine when you ought to have seasons of prayer and fasting. Maybe it's a day. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's a month. But we see here that Barnabas and Saul gave themselves to a lifestyle of fasting. So it's easy to conclude that even in the early Gentile church, this was an accepted part of what they did. This is what church does. They fast and they pray. And as they did, they heard the Spirit speak. They ministered, they fasted, and then they heard from, they heard from the Lord. Key point number four. The Spirit's guidance is not passively endowed. It is actively obtained. I should say actively. Actively obtained. And what I mean by that is that you don't get to sit around and call yourself Christian and do Christian things and expect that the Lord is going to speak to you expressly. The Lord makes a habit of speaking to His friends. And being a friend is an active duty. Knowing what God has for your life is not accidental. It doesn't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen as the result of a really emotional worship service where you conjure up some sort of feeling. That's not how it happens. It happens in the quiet of a person's heart, in their devotion to God's Word. It's a matter of pursuing God, obeying Him, investing, valuing prayer, Valuing spiritual disciplines as you walk in the direction of God's will, His reality unfolds before you. That's how it works. There's no other way. Live a life yielded to serving Him and the nature of His call in your life will be made clear. It will be. And you don't have to bite your fingernails waiting for it. You don't have to sit around and ask God when. It's not even important to you. You just do what you know to do and everything will work out just the way it should. If your heart is readied, if it's knit to His, if you're ministering to Him, if you're praying, if you're devoted to studying God's Word, if you're devoted to discipling people, guess what? In time, His, his plan for your life will unfold and guess what? He'll separate you just to what it is that you're supposed to be separated to. You'll know. And so the Spirit says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. This is the culmination of the Holy Spirit's work. He equips, then he calls. 
Last and finally, we see that they are sent. Verse 3. Well, let's skip. Let's, yeah, let's look at verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister, John being John Mark. Now, now we're not going to get real in-depth here because we don't have time. We'll save that for later. But I want you to see here is that it was not enough for Barnabas and Saul to have prayed. But now that the calling was made known, it required the involvement of the elders of the church. So here's, here's the point that I want to make to you. So they knew that they were called to be separated from the church of Antioch that they might go and minister somewhere else. That they might take that DNA and go reproduce it in other places in the world. They knew that, didn't they? The Spirit told them. But they didn't go rogue all of a sudden. They didn't just leave, did they? They waited on the prayer and the blessing of their elders and leaders. And this is very, very important because we cannot afford to have a rebellious spirit in our church. If you believe that God's calling you to something, then what you need to do is you need to take that to the elders so that they might pray and fast with you. And that God would confirm to them the thing that you believe God is speaking to you. That's called accountability. And it permeates every aspect of ministry. And we see it we see that in the culture of the early church, and it ought to be true here too. So the other church members, members, they fasted and they prayed. And after the praying had ceased, the confirmation was shared in the hearts of all of God's people. And then the men were ordained for the work of foreign missions. But we don't have time to get into this. We'll get into this in coming weeks. But when we talk about missions, okay, again, that's like this big, huge umbrella word. You know what we're talking about? Preaching the gospel. That's all we're talking about. We're talking about people willing to take the message of the gospel somewhere else. That's what we're talking about. And it was confirmed in the hearts of the leadership here that these two men were supposed to take what Antioch had somewhere else and I'll say this man history history proves it out that church at Antioch reproduced itself it reproduced itself and we're a living testimony of that you know what you know the great reformation that's often talked about in history could not have possibly existed if it wasn't for the model church Antioch God's word sets things straight. It tells us how to do church. And Antioch is that model for us. Now, now going back to this idea of confirmation among the elders, when Mike, when Mike said, hey, I think God is calling me to Boston, that didn't come overnight. Okay, you might not know the story, but Mike had been going back and forth to the East Coast uh, for a while, visiting other churches, helping out with a friend, Eric May's church. And he got a heart for Massachusetts. And so he started praying about it. 
He is fa- and his family, pray- we're, we're praying about it, thinking about it, considering it, asking the Lord, getting clarity from the book. And then when he believed that the Spirit was speaking, that he ought to plant a church in Boston, by the way, no easy decision, no small decision to do something like that. That work is not going to be simple. That's hard ground, and it's going to take time. And he needs the favor of God over his life. Now listen to me. I remember it. A little over a year ago, an email came to all of the pastors. It's like four pages long. About what the Spirit had said to Mike. And I poured over it. And I thought critically about it. And the pastors thought critically about it. And they weighed the pros and the cons. But most importantly, they took it before the Lord. Because because our logic is flawed. We don't necessarily have to understand it. Mike had proven that he was ready. Now it was just a matter of whether or not the Spirit was in this work. So we all prayed. And after a matter of a week or two, we all concluded, this is what God's doing. I mean, Boston wasn't, Sam has a little map. And he's got, he's got cities in, in America that he wants, to, he wants to go after. And Boston wasn't necessarily on his radar. But it was what the Spirit was doing. And we all agreed. And now Mike is in the preparation of building that team to go. Now listen to me, this is key point number five. Confirmation of calling is always communal. It's always communal. It's always confirmed within the family of God. Confirmation, this, what is it that Sam always says? It sounds, this is such a Sam statement. He says, it's all, uh, God always sends a mass email. <coughs> we ought to change that, right? To like, God always has a WhatsApp app group. I don't know. It just seems like a group email just seems dated. But, but God always communicates to the family of God that he's in a work. And so all of us can rejoice together. God's not cool with a few people being bitter about the church plant in Boston. He's not cool with that. We all have to hear in our hearts, and we all have to be devoted that that's what God's up to. Now, man, guys, I'm, I'm saying all this, and I hope that like some of you are new believers, or maybe you're just visiting this week. And this is a very family, like this is like an in-house like serious message that I'm giving. Like what I'm what I'm doing is I'm saying who we're gonna be at Midtown Baptist Temple. This is this is who we're gonna be. And for some of you are like, well this isn't even my church. Or maybe I've, I've just been visiting because I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be yet. Or maybe you've been coming for a while and you know this is where you want to be but you don't know the next steps. I don't know where you're at. But I want to tell you something. God has a call on your life. And if you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no way around that. Now, you might not know the details yet. You might know, not know the specificity of the plan. But the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you agreed to value the things that He values. That's what you agreed to. And no matter where you go, whether this is your church or another church, you can't escape the fact that you're called to be a missionary. Maybe not a foreign missionary, but you're called to be a missionary. 
So the question is, what about you? Is God calling you to live a more missional life? Is he calling you to a higher degree of leadership? What are you doing to prepare for God's calling? Are you involved in ministry? Are you cultivating fruitfulness? Are you participating in evangelism? Are you discipling people? Do you bring people to your small group? Do you bring visitors to church or to small group? Do people see God's character in you? Do you have a testimony of faithfulness? Remember that knowing God's plan for your life is not an accident. It has to be intentional. And everyone in this room, at some level, if you're a believer, if you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, God is calling you to the work. And everyone in here, you know where you're at. You know what the next step is. Who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be a leader? Are you going to live a life that's pleasing to God? Are you going to be devoted to souls? Anything outside of that is just complacency. There is no relationship. There is no job. There is no peer group. There is no activity. I mean, listen, there are guys my age that play basketball every weekend, and it's the highlight of their week. First of all, I don't know how their knees hold up. But, like, they're, like, they're out with their friends. They're at the bar. They're kicking it. With, you know, they're, like, you know that people have all kinds of purposes, all kinds of loves, all kinds of passions. I mean, the way that, the way that, that middle-aged men with children devote their lives to, to sports is amazing. But this is what, peop, this is what people do when they don't have a higher calling. Now listen, don't you fall prey to that. Look at, look at God's word. Look at Antioch and consider. Do I live my Christian life the way the believers in Antioch lived? Am I missional? Do I desire for God to call me out to new works? Do I consider, do I consider what it is that I'm supposed to be doing with my life? Do I consider those things? Am I preparing for that? Am I studying God's word the right way? Am I faithful? That's what's important. And that's what this church is going to be about. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. And Lord, I thank you for the timing that we get to be in Acts chapter 13, just, just before mission focus. And God, I pray that you will have used your word today to prepare us for a mission focus. Lord, that we would see that Lord, our responsibility is to the gospel, not to create Christian experience, not to create healthy communities, not to create lasting Christian friendships. Lord, all those things are good. But Lord, we ought to love you with all of our hearts and all of our minds. And Lord, we ought to let that turn us into missions-minded believers, willing to go, willing to preach, 
willing to teach, willing to disciple. Lord, that the lost might be saved and the disciples might be made. We want to reach the world. And God, I have no idea what Kyle will look like five years from now. Some of us will be here, some of us won't. Lord, but I pray that we will have grown in the power of your Holy Spirit. The Lord, that that we would be able to say that we are a disciple-making ministry, a missional ministry, devoted to the Great Commission, living out Acts chapter 1, verse 8, living that out. And the Lord, we would be able to say that our people have gone out to do the same thing in other places. This is who we want to be. But it will require your help. And we have to yield ourselves to you. And we have to determine that we are going to conform to the image of Jesus Christ by the study of the Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and through prayer. Use us, God. We love you. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.com. Dot L-I-V-E